Welcome to the Rise and Search podcast. I'm your host, David Lovejoy, inviting you on an exploration of the global business landscape. Join me as we discover insights from world-class professionals. Sonia Khan, thank you very much for coming on our podcast. Could you please introduce yourself to our audience? Sure. Old lady loves innovation and has been successful in implementing it with uh, what I call some white elephants, large financial institutions who need people like us uh, to lead them into the next century of technology. Thank you. And you do have an impressive background in finance. You've been an advisor to the Gibraltar government, the Minister of Economic Affairs in Austria, as well as the Vienna Stock Exchange. Could you talk about how you started and, and what was one thing that you learned uh, in, that, in that time? Well, um, I started uh, in Vienna, where I was born. And uh, I, I like everything, it starts with hard work and uh, knowing uh, the topic uh, and making sure that one is happy to share this topic. And if one is sharing experience, people say, this is great, can you do it for me? And this is really how our business relationships or advisory relationships starts. Uh, so uh, there was a feeling that I can add value uh, and I was asked uh, to, to deliver this ad added value and uh, it was fun, it was rewarding and it was satisfying for both of the parties. That's great. So you connected on the human level to the world of finance because I think for people on the outside like myself, I think of finance in terms of numbers, ones and zeros, but from what I hear from you, it, it's, it's very uh, human first approach. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And uh, at the end, uh, uh, this is, it's people who use finance uh, and it's not machines who are using uh, the benefits of finance. Finance is, uh, are the blood uh, vessels of the economy and the economy is here for, for people. Uh, to use it. And uh, I do feel that uh, very often uh, innovation makes bridges and international bridges. Uh, so uh, one of the things I did for the Austrian uh, Stock Exchange uh, was a joint venture with the Beijing Stock Exchange and a joint venture with the Dubai Stock Exchange. And uh, this leads to uh, business development, it needs to friendship, it, needs, it leads to understanding. And uh, again, innovation has actually always been, I think, what interested people in cooperation with me. So uh, we did for the Austrian government, and that was during the time I was an advisor to the Minister of Economic Affairs, uh, we created an Austrian government guaranteed fund in the United Arab Emirates, uh, which would be a standby guarantee for, be, for companies between the two countries doing business together. And for that, I actually got a, a great medal of honor from the government of Austria. So it was the idea uh, to say, if you want something in the, in the commercial world to work, uh, if a government guarantees it, it speeds it up. It makes it bigger. And all of a sudden, one can do things one couldn't do before. That's impressive. Congratulations. It seems like you're connecting uh, cross-culturally through the language or culture of finance. 
Is there anything that stood out to you as a different approach to that cooperation between the Beijing Stock Exchange and the Dubai Stock Exchange? Sure, absolutely. I do think that uh, uh, um, the Chinese people are much farther away uh, from our um, culture. Uh, everything they do is much more controlled. At the end, like we have seen in Hong Kong, it's the government who pulls the strings. And I was the one who really early on actually uh, said that uh, Hong Kong is a city in China and everything else is naive. That's uh, basically what uh, uh, what I have learned. Uh, in Dubai, you have a completely United Arab Emirates, completely different background. You have wealth uh, and you have a deep desire uh, to embrace innovation and become part of the international business world. Uh, so two completely different, both combined with a common denominator, I would say, to make their economies grow. Interesting. Yeah, they both have a reputation for fast development, wealth, and um, innovation. So, so that's interesting that you were spearheading projects with both of them. How, how far apart were those projects? Were they more or less concurrent or were they a few years apart? No, it was like a year apart. Okay, yeah, that's pretty soon after. Uh, which one was first, Beijing or Dubai? Uh, Dubai. Okay, and did that help you at all or uh, going into the... No, absolutely. When you do one, then all of a sudden you have the credibility to do the second. Uh, so... Uh, success opens a lot of doors. <laughs> yeah, well said. So what led to your transition from this accomplishment in financial advisory to leading an innovative AI company, which you're doing now? I uh, I don't think it is was a tradition. For me, it's exactly the same. Uh, so when we are speaking not on governments, uh, my one of the very first uh, things I did is I had a company with Bank Austria, Austria's largest bank, and in a time where there was still the Austrian shilling and American financial institutions were the only one coming into Europe offering uh, different currency investments, I came up with the idea to make a, a guaranteed zero-coupon bond. And all of a sudden, Bank Austria leveraged its uh, rank rating, which was then AAA, uh, to offer a US dollar denominated investment. So it was always innovation. Uh, the next, uh, one of the other things I did, I created for Intesa San Paolo, which is Italy's largest bank, the first uh, platform in Europe uh, for the distribution of mutual funds. Uh, so I've always tried to use the available means, uh, if it's a guarantee of a government or a technology, uh, to use it to create something which is useful and, uh, and actually always conservative uh, for the investors. And uh, that's what I do today. Uh, so one of our clients is UBS, uh, the Swiss bank, uh, Banca Investis in Italy. Uh, so just what we do now is useful, not only for the financial industry, but for many others, but I just stayed in innovation. Yeah, it certainly seems to have that thread 
innovation and uh, the human connection it would seem because you mentioned uh, your approach to finance early on and how you put humans first. And with your current role at Best Fit, it seems you're approaching with the Behavioral Science Foundation. Could you talk at all about the inspiration behind Best Fit and that approach? Sure. Um, basically, when uh, we were looking at uh, the first uh, robo-advisors uh, at the, uh, uh, in 2015, BlackRock, uh, bought future advisors for 150 million. And that's actually when uh, I started to focus on uh, AI and uh, IT in combination. Uh, when I'm looking at an industry, I ask my team to take a white page, look at the different players, uh, put in one column. Uh, this is interesting what they do. In the second column, uh, why do they do that? And the third column is mine. Why the hell is no one doing that? And so that's how I identify market niches. And the market niche was you, uh, Probo Advisors took the interaction uh, to the investor from offline online. They took the investment process from offline online. Uh, but all of a sudden, uh, the human, the understanding, the meetings, uh, looking at people's faces, uh, seeing if they move their leg, if they are nervous or showing nervosity. So a lot of uh, the, the knowledge a good salesman, a good private banker has uh, when he is meeting with a person wasn't there anymore. And I felt that to make the investments, to make the relationship between the financial institution and the investors work, we have to fill uh, this gap. And here, uh, behavioral science uh, could be implemented. And we did that uh, with a team of neuroscientists based on uh, Richard Thaler, uh, who was, uh, people are predictively rational, uh, based on Professor Zaltman, uh, 95% of all decisions are made in the unconscious pain, uh, based on Kahneman. So we took together all this understanding that emotions are extremely important for decision-making and created out of that uh, basically a um, platform, which with fun, indirect questions is able to understand how people make decisions based on facts or based on emotions. Uh, should one send them a term sheet, a competitor analysis, or a testimonial of a happy client? Uh, what is their real risk resistance, risk tolerance? Uh, so basically, we were trying, and thanks God successfully, uh, to build a platform where we can give to the financial institution uh, this missing uh, human factors, uh, which make it possible to be a good advisor and do a good job for the investor. That's really interesting. I recently took a class at Yale on the behavioral science of management, which built upon Daniel Kahneman's work as well. And that came as a surprise to me, what you just said, uh, as far as the emotional component of decision-making being significantly more important than the rational. Um, we like to think of ourselves as neutral observers, rational observers, but like you say, predictably irrational and uh, understanding 
the the reasons for that and maybe how to connect on that level, uh, perhaps first and foremost. So it's interesting to see your your approach there. I'd like to talk about something you said regarding that third column that's for you to discern why no one else is doing this innovative um, this this startup idea. Um, someone I spoke with recently was talking about startups, and he's a consultant in the startup world. And he said, never assume you're the first one to have a great idea. Ask yourself why Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or any CEO at a large company isn't pursuing this idea. Assume they've seen it and they've rejected it and find out what those reasons are. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And could you talk at all about how you approach that third column? Sure. I don't think what we are is a successful assembly, synergy of many independent pieces. So uh, we haven't invented uh, the uh, science. Uh, we are building on existing science of Nobel Prize winners. I do have the opportunity to know two Nobel Prize winners personally. One is Vernon Smith. Uh, he got the Nobel Prize with uh, Daniel Kahneman, and actually his wife is using our platform in her newsletter business. Nice. Uh, and uh, Professor Aumann, he got the Nobel Prize for gaming theory, which is how people make decisions. So I'm fortunate enough to have uh, very smart people uh, to bounce off. Uh, so the science is there. Uh, technology is there, UX, UI is there, uh, BuzzFeed, for example, has created questionnaires which are incredibly fun. Uh, I think what we have been able to do is create a complete product out of that. And I'm desperate for people for a, a for a competition uh, because competition will increase uh, the market share. Uh, if you're looking at uh, at business like an apple pie, uh, when I started out three years ago and you were speaking to a marketing person about behavioral science, what are you talking about? And now um, um, Harari and other people have made it. Uh, it has become something people talk about. And when when something new starts, they are always first movers. Mm. And uh, again, if you ask me, um, uh, people uh, like uh, Palantir could very well do what we are doing, but they have another business. So I'm not saying none of the pieces which are the composites of what we do uh, are unique. Uh, but putting it skillfully together, I think for the moment that's, that's what we have been able to do. And again, I welcome every competitor because it will increase the market share, it will increase awareness, and hopefully then we can be quicker or cheaper or better. So I don't expect to stay the only one and I'm not the only one in each of the components. But currently you have the most delicious apple pie is what I'm understanding. Mm, well, uh, I'm happy, but as I mentioned to you, we are looking for strategic partners. And I think I, what we have is 
powerful it works. We have clients like IBM, like the Zurich Insurance Group, yeah. uh, but we definitely need help to scale. And I'm welcoming everyone who can help us do that. Okay. One thing in the intro video on your product's website, Best Fits website, you mentioned visualizing people's thoughts. Could you talk about what you mean by that? Sure. I mean, basically, when we answer, we ask a question, right? Uh, we will uh, we give options for the answers. Each of these options has an algorithmic value attached to it. At the end of the questionnaire, uh, we show the people a profile, uh, which means super smart uh, and and we give the people uh, our customers which are the corporations we give them a sheet printed which says this person is sophistication from zero to one zero eight uh, so we really reveal uh, with AI and generative AI uh, the personality characteristics. We calculate them and we give the people uh, on paper or naturally with, with a data download file this information. So we make it visible and the next text will say uh, we make thoughts visible, we transform information into insights and we allow people to use these insights communicating to the people brain uh, in the way which the brain of the customer or patient will understand best. Thank you for that introduction. I'm curious, have you noticed a difference in the way that the client or the test subject answers the questions once they've been profiled? So for example, when you give them the results of the test the first time, does it change upon subsequent testing or is it fairly consistent? Uh, look, personality characteristics don't change. So uh, if someone is an optimist, he's an optimist. If someone is sophisticated, he's sophisticated. Uh, if someone is risk adverse, he's risk adverse. It does change uh, with... Um, tragedies. So if God forbid there is uh, the person becomes cancer or there's a street accident or there's a tsunami. But this is statistically irrelevant uh, because it, the percentage of people having this incredible event which really changed their personality characteristics is, as I mentioned, so rare, thanks God, that it's statistically irrelevant. And uh, we are looking, I mean, we are commercially active. Uh, so all research shows that personality characteristics don't change in the next few years. That's interesting. Uh, have you ever taken the Myers-Briggs test by any chance? Are you familiar with it? Yes. I'm familiar with it. The Myers-Briggs test, first of all, is a fixed test, uh, which for every company, they can use it or they cannot use it. Our tests are custom tailored to each company for their commercial goal. Uh, so a, a test for an HR company will be completely different. The Myers-Briggs test is longer. Our tests take like two and a half, three minutes. And my bricks basically afterwards has pre 
you have as well the 16 personality tests. Right. So you have predefined boxes and the tests put the people in these boxes. We create clusters based on the answers of the people. So Meyerbrix is great. Uh, there are many other great tests. But first of all, most of these tests are for human resources. So you don't have these tests uh, uh, to increase NPS as a sample or things like that. So they are not for commercials and they are not personalized. They are longer and many of them have relatively direct questions. And uh, if you ask a direct question, uh, like uh, let's say uh, uh, HR uh, person, the first thing the person who is answers will think about it, what do they want to hear? What will make me look good? So all of that we address. Good point. Uh, and connecting to your earlier point about personality not changing, that's something I personally experienced with the Myers-Briggs test. I'd taken it about 10 years apart, and I thought surely with different experience and I thought different perspectives, uh, I'd wind up with a different personality type. But it was almost exact because it gives you the confidence level, and it was almost exactly the same confidence level um, of, of that original personality type. So I thought that was really interesting. So talking about best fit, uh, could you talk at all, you mentioned HR, but could you talk about perhaps its uh, impact or potential impact on other industries? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll give you a few samples, which I think is most important. Uh, one of them is Inter, the football club. Hmm. Uh, the Inter football club, he wanted to use our questionnaire to increase online sales. Uh, so what they did is they made a campaign uh, with email uh, where they are ba basically sent out an email with saying, uh, Kelty Force or size, so which uh, sports fan are you? Uh, and uh, we gave them, uh, the, uh, we created four clusters and we made them four texts uh, to send out out to invite to buy uh, on the online shop. Uh, so they have naturally a benchmark because they have done uh, uh, campaigns like that before. In the campaign, which they sent out by email, uh, we outperformed their benchmark seven times. And in the, uh, the campaign they did with SMS eight times. Uh, if you're looking at the Zurich Insurance Group, um, I'm sure that you and, and many of the listeners are familiar with NPS. How do you measure client satisfaction? Uh, Zurich Insurance uh, credits us with an increase of NPS uh, from 56 to 72. Hmm. So they basically measured client satisfaction before they started to work with us. Then communication changed based on our input and the results were just as much as, for instance, Wüstenroth, uh, that's an Austrian-German uh, financial services company. They used us for increasing uh, their client. Uh, so they used us on Facebook. And here we leveraged and we said, to see your profile, uh, put your email in and the permission to use your email commercially. So basically, we started out Discover the Genius in Yourself, uh, 10 
questions to see your profile, you have to put in your email address. Mm. 58% of the people who started the first question coming from Facebook left their email address, uh, permission to contact them commercially, and we could contact them already understanding their decision drivers. So I think these are three very simple examples from different industries. Thank you. That's interesting. And it makes me wonder, to your earlier question, why isn't anyone else doing this? It seems uh, almost obvious, uh, like the, so many people have missed it, the behavioral science approach to this cross-industry um, competition. It, it looks like um, the proof is in your results there, being significantly higher uh, than any of the other uh, competitions so far. Do, do you have any ideas as, as far as why why you're alone in this at this point as a, at this moment again if you put in behavioral science marketing into google you'll get a huge amount of uh, answers a lot of people a lot of companies like qualtrics for instance uh, do uh, try to uh, extract uh, behavioral uh, characteristic from past transactions uh, so they will look at past transactions. They will look at navigation. Uh, they will look at data the company has, analyze it, and try to, uh, from that, uh, uh, take out and see if a person uh, bought this kind of this kind of stock. Then, so our that our approach is different. Uh, we are using questions and not past data analytics. This is one. Second of all, I'm sure competitors doing exactly the same will come, but the, the um, industry is moving so fast. So a quite good alternative to what we were doing were cookies. Uh, cookies have become illegal now. Uh, another very good alternative was tracking. Now, Apple now, uh, this allows tracking if you don't opt in and not so many people opt in. Uh, so it's a combination mm. of new technologies, changes in the industry, and it, it will come. And again, lots of people are doing certain things. They use, may use the other data, uh, past data instead of questions. Mm, do I have a good answer? No, but uh, I don't feel that we are unique. I feel we are very hardworking. I feel we were very lucky with the team we could put together. And we are lucky that so big companies uh, with brands like Zurich Insurance Group are giving us the confidence uh, to work with us. Indeed. I think that was a good answer. You certainly have an impressive team and some impressive clients so far. And they say necessity is the mother of all invention. And it seems that the um, out, like outlawing or stopping the practice of using cookies uh, perhaps led to you looking for a new way. Did, it, did, did that connect at all to, to you starting BestFit or was that independent? No, that was later. Okay. I started BestFit before. We just got, I think, we got support from the developments, uh, which are increase of privacy regulations and elimination of cookies and other things. But here we were just lucky. Okay. Well, sometimes you make your own luck. So good job there. Could you talk at all about 
the role of best fit in healthcare sectors? Sure. Again, uh, best is a sample. Uh, when we had COVID, uh, COVID is uh, uh, fortunately not so many people got infected. Uh, um, body-wise, that they got COVID, everyone was affected emotionally from the cleaning lady to the billionaire. Mm-hmm. One had to change one's life, uh, day-to-day life. And that created emotional stress with many people. We had an increase of depressions. Uh, so basically what we did, we created a questionnaire to measure the emotional state of people. Uh, we did that in Australia. We did it in New York, in the United States. And at the time, we could see that 17% in America, uh, 19% in Australia, were really would have needed support, someone to talk to them and outreach to not fall into really a black hole. Uh, so that's one of the things we did. We as well quite important for telemedicine. Uh, telemedicine works with body data. So a doctor at the other end of the world will have an MRI, blood tests, all of that are good enough to make a diagnosis. Uh, it's not good enough to create a treatment plan people will comply with. Because, for instance, one of the things we measure, we can measure and we do is are people organized or not? So a lot of medicines are best taken in small doses. Mm. Uh, giving a person who is not organized to take drops five times a day is a disaster. So to create a treatment, long-term treatment program with, the, with good compliance uh, by the people, you need to understand the person. And for a rational person, you lose use statistics. 85 of the people who comply uh, will get healthy again. And for someone who is emotional, you may, lo- may use it uh, as, as someone who was ill saying, you know, since I've taken the medicine, I'm much better. So that's another sample in the area of medicine. Uh, I'd also like to uh, give you an opportunity to tell us about Nunchi. What is Nunchi? Okay. Uh, Nunchi is uh, a, a Korean word. Uh, it means actually uh, eye contact. Uh, it's a core of the Korean uh, uh, life philosophy. And the New York Times actually wrote an article in saying uh, the key to happiness, the Korean key to happiness. And it means uh, you walk into a room, uh, you observe people, you listen to people, and you act accordingly. And uh, that's how kids are educated. That's how uh, employees are being trained. And best fit is a digital nunchi. Uh, we observe, we listen, and we try to help companies to act accordingly. What is your vision for the future of AI and business? And could you talk at all about best fit's upcoming initiatives? Sure. So one of it is ChatGPT. Uh, I think uh, we have seen with what's going on over the weekend, Sam Altman, uh, this is a firework uh, with continuously new developments, continuously new things. Uh, what ChatGPT uh, allows is the instant um, transformation of uh, pers- our algorithms as best fit into 
hyper-personalized messages. So what we can do today is at the end of two and a half minutes, we can give a hyper-personalized call to action on the platform. This is something which has been done before by hand and uh, uh, after a month. So we have a huge increase of speed. We have completely new opportunities. Uh, we will be able, instead of asking questions, create a game where based on the, on the choices a player is making, we can measure his personality characteristics. I think it's enormously exciting uh, what is going on. I do think, and we actually, one of the uh, awards we got was from the uh, uh, Hebrew University, which was the alma mater of Einstein, mm. uh, for the human factor in digital. I do think that all of this AI and generative AI will be a success if people will like what they see, like what they will be offered, uh, and buy into it. Uh, which they actually didn't into the metaverse. Uh, so if you're looking back just to November a year ago, uh, there were billions uh, put into the metaverse and it really didn't go anywhere. Why? Because somehow the, the population didn't buy into it. Uh, so I think that I love generative AI, I love AI, I love innovation, uh, but my mission and my job is best fit is to make sure that we put the human individual in the middle, understand what he likes, understand that the same thing, one person may love and one person may hate, and customize communication and offers to each person. Yeah, that's really interesting what you brought up about the, the metaverse. That That is a bit of a, a mystery, it would seem, with all the the people behind it and its promise, and perhaps it, it will find that alignment later. But certainly uh, at the outset, it seemed like ChatGPT had a much lower barrier to um, entry as far as um, unearthing its its potential. Uh, people could easily participate. You didn't need any sort of uh, special equipment or understanding, uh, basically just like typing an email and you're getting a response back that's teaching you whatever you know you might wanna know. Um, so yeah, that, that is interesting. People need to desire it first in order to, um, to invest themselves. And so I could see if, if it's just a two minute or three minute, um, fun gamified, uh, questionnaire that you have with best fit, that's a, a much easier, um, pill to swallow, uh, and then to see the, the results of that. Are you, are you looking at shortening that time even further or have you found that that two to three minutes is the ideal duration to, to extract the the, um, the information that you need for best fit? Uh, we can go 30 seconds less or something. I mean, the more data you have, the better the output is. And we feel very comfortable with these two, three minutes. Okay. Uh, if we want to reduce, so with two, three minutes, uh, we give four, we analyze four personality characteristics, uh, which could be sophistication, decision style, rational, emotional, uh, price sensitivity, and uh, let's say um, um, risk. Uh, if we want to measure just one uh, characteristics, like only price sensitivity, we can go much shorter. 
because we are using three questions for each of the personality characteristics. So can we do sh go shorter? Yes, but we will answer less. We will give less information to the company. So it's always an equilibrium. For human resources, uh, we usually are around four minutes, uh, but then we give six information categories. So it depends what our clients want. I see. That's still really fast, considering the amount of detail that you're able to extract. Is there anything that we uh, didn't get to touch on that you'd like to highlight? Well, I would like to highlight just that every of these tools uh, need professionals uh, to extract value. Uh, we have done a huge amount of work with ChatGPT. And as a woman and mother and grandmother and great-great-mother, uh, allow me to say, uh, ChatGPT is a little bit like a kid. Uh, you have to learn how to prompt it. Prompt is a professional expression of sending it information to get a good output. Uh, you have to learn how to instruct it. Uh, you have to learn which instruction it understands or doesn't understand. Uh, so I do believe, and this is a big concern, uh, I think of everyone, uh, I am concerned that this uh, uh, highly complex uh, AI and generative AI uh, will create a wealth divide and will be a tool which will make smart people and smart big companies even better. And it will be just hard in the middle. Uh, so I, I think the quality of what generative AI can do for us depends on the quality of the people who work with it. Well said. Well, Sonia Kohn, thank you so much for talking with us today. It was a real privilege to learn from you. Really exciting to see what you're doing with Best Fit. And I look forward to tracking its progress in the future. Thank you very much for the opportunity to share. Thank you for listening to the Rise and Search podcast. I hope that our conversation has sparked some new ideas and given you valuable insights that you can carry forward in your own journey. Until next time, eyes on the horizon.